Hello and welcome to the PhD Life Raft podcast. I'm Emma Brzezinski and today I am talking to the wonderful Catherine Pope. We're talking about project managing the PhD and Catherine introduces us to amazing concepts such as the minimum viable thesis and my own personal favourite, desk hunger. So I do hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, Catherine. Hello, Emma. I am so delighted that you're here. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I've already confessed to you that I've been stalking you for a while. (laughs) Um, And I love the work that you're doing um, with PhD researchers. And so um, really smart book, which I'm I'm sure we're going to talk more about in a minute. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm so pleased that um, you said yes to come and talk and I get to meet you. Um, oh, well, thank you for inviting me, Emma. It's my pleasure to be here. So welcome. Um, so first of all, I'm going to ask a question, same as I asked everybody, in terms of just telling us a little bit about your own PhD journey. Mm-hmm. So can you talk us through a little bit of that? Yeah, well, I had quite an unconventional journey. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, so I was obsessed with reading as a child um, and particularly the Victorian era I'd read all the Brontes and George Eliot and everything else but because of family problems I couldn't go to university I went straight into work after I left school and I always felt a bit grumpy about that Mm. but Mm. didn't have the confidence to approach academia until I was 32 and I suddenly thought I want to go to university and not only that I want to be an academic I want to do this full time and I was talking to a friend about it and she said Catherine if you do an undergraduate degree and a master's and a PhD you're going to be 103 by the time you finish so you need to go straight on to a master's program and I said nobody will let me do that she said yes they will you know so much about the 19th century so just apply she was one of those annoyingly confident people love that we all need one of them in our corner right (laughs) Exactly. Uh, So I applied to Birkbeck and I had to submit uh, an essay and um, have a couple of interviews and they were a little bit suspicious. um, But they said, well, you seem to know your stuff, so let's give this a try. And I went straight on to the master's programme, having not been to university before. Um, Yeah, and I did it part time. I was working as an IT manager in my day job. And two years later, I got my master's and then I was completely immersed in the 19th century and I went on to do a PhD at the University of Sussex. In the meantime, I'd got married and moved to Brighton. So there'd been a lot of changes going on. Um, And then just after my 40th birthday, I emerged with my PhD, which I'd done part-time alongside my IT job. And then I became self-employed and did various jobs alongside my PhD. Uh, so I did it in just under four years, I think. Wow, um, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, which is not because I'm bionic, it's just because I'd done so much project oh, yeah. management in my day job as an IT manager and a web developer, and I used technology very effectively. And I think that's one of the keys 
so that helped me go a bit faster. It wasn't necessarily elegant. There was an awful lot of swearing and eating of cake and crisps <laughs> along the way. Um, and I pushed myself far too hard and got all sorts of health problems, which we'll probably come right. to later on. Um, but yes, I, I did did do it in under four years yeah and my plan had been to become an academic at the end I gave up my IT job did some part-time hourly paid lecturing and thought oh I don't like this (laughs) (laughs) Um, after all that build up over the years thinking I want to be the 19th century and the the teaching was wonderful I loved the teaching so much and and the research that the bureaucracy and the politics in Higher education really wasn't for me, uh, but I started running workshops as well with um, doctoral researchers and that I I love so much. And then I started scampering around the country, running workshops for other universities. I thought, this is great. And I did a coaching qualification and really found my niche then. So I, I get to play in, in the world of academia, but also to do all this coaching and training and meet so many wonderful people as well. Amazing. Amazing. And now I'm just checking myself because actually I fell into that. Brilliant. I oh, did that so quickly. Um, and actually, as you say, it comes at a cost. And so mm. I, I think cele- there's, there's a balance to be had, isn't there, in terms of celebrating the progress that you made with your project and also recognising that fast is not always better. So mm. I'm, I'm just checking myself with that, really. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's well, we well, let's get into it then. Let's get into that <laughs> right now, um, because. Um, something that a, a bit that I love in in your book, and I'm just qu- going to quote it at you now, um, is it, you you you're writing it about Darwin days, and you say in 1861 Charles Darwin wrote in a letter, "But I'm very poorly today, and very stupid, and hate everybody and everything." Um, I love that quote so much, <laughs> and this sense of that that can well happen on many days <laughs> during a PhD <laughs> journey, and this sense of how to take care of yourself, how to deal with those Darwin days, um, how to keep going. That that's the that's the question that I'm putting to you now in terms of tell us about how you navigate that and encourage others to navigate that because I think it's mm. really gorgeous. Yeah, I'm 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 glad you've picked up on that topic of self-care Emma because um well I I probably sound like a ghastly hypocrite based on what I've just told you about my own background (laughs) but I'm I'm here as a terrible warning rather than a a good example now we teach what we need to learn (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) yeah exactly yeah so as I said a moment ago I was pushing myself way too hard with my PhD because I was working all week and then sitting at my desk for the whole weekend with a a look of grim determination on my face And that caused all sorts of back problems. Um, I ended up in hospital a couple of times on morphine, which wasn't great for my mental acuity. I also got an autoimmune condition, I think, because I was so exhausted. So I now have a a wonky thyroid as well. And uh, I struggled with depression during my PhD as well, because I think I was just under so much pressure. So, yes, I did get there quickly but as you said it definitely wasn't the best way and it did have a, a cost because it took me a long time to recover afterwards so that's when I got interested in the idea of self-care and, mm. and perhaps more sensible ways of going at it um, 
So yeah. tell, tell us what you've learned. Tell us what you've learned. Uh, so sometimes we have Darwin days and, and sometimes Darwin weeks when yes. we're just not feeling it and we feel really stupid and we hate everybody, as, as, as Mr. Darwin said. And it's OK to take a break from your PhD. There's no point in going at it in a frenzy for seven days a week. If you take a couple of days off, then you're going to be much more energetic and focused when you come back to it. And if you are up against the deadline, um, I have this concept of Darwin jobs. So it's these small jobs that are getting you a bit closer towards the finish line, but they're not too mentally taxing. Mm. So it can be things like organising your references, printing out some articles, downloading forms, because there are always forms that you have to fill in. And that's just annoying when everything's flowing and you're being creative. But when you are having a Darwin day, um, you you can just throw yourself into those um, yes. and get them out of the way yes oh that makes that makes so much sense and it, it, yeah making it's scheduling for energy isn't it mm-hmm. um and and being really honest with yourself as well just tuning in and not doing that kind of I must battle on mm-hmm. because, as you say that that there's a there's a price to be paid at the end of the um battling on it only gets you so far yeah, you don't want the gold medal for masochism. You want the PhD instead. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, and as I say, I think what you're really well. There's lots of brilliant stuff in this book, and we'll have the link to it in the in the show notes. But this sense of kind of keeping going and building routines and building like a support structure to keep you going. Can you tell us a little bit more about like give us a sneak peek into what you're what you talk about in the in the book because I love what you said about um here's the thing let me ask you a question and then just start talking myself but um, (laughs) I love what you said about in terms of project management because the PhD Mm. yeah is a project to be managed and I think that's what your book is so brilliant on in terms of it it, it, it's a project to be managed so now I'm going to let you get a word in edgeways and (laughs) and talk to us about routines okay uh yeah I'm glad you picked up on that Emma because I I think that's the the key message of the book that often we're told to treat our PhD like a job I don't think that's very helpful advice especially if you already have a full-time job yes. and you've got caring responsibilities yes. yeah and if you've ever worked in an office you know that um, it's not always a model of productivity either no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'd like to treat it much more as a, a project you are the project manager so you've got overall responsibility and you have other people on your team and one of those project team members is your supervisor but they're not responsible for your PhD. They are a resource. You, you involve them in certain aspects. But you also need professional services staff from your universities, your friends, your colleagues, maybe your family if they're supportive. And for you to really think of this as a, a project with a, a, a deadline and a scope um, and not try to do too much. So a concept I use a lot now in workshops mm. is the idea of the minimum viable thesis so in the <gasps> business world there's the minimum viable product and you get a basic version of your product out there like a, you know a basic iphone they don't put all the bells and whistles on they release it as early as possible to all those people who will queue up overnight at the apple store and pony up a thousand pounds and then those people tell them well this is what we like and this is what we want and that's that's what the examiners do they are your market so you're not spending years and years trying to get it perfect you're producing something that looks a bit like a thesis submitting it 
And then those two or three people will tell you exactly what you need to do to get it finished. So think about the, the scope of what you're trying to achieve. And remember that it's an examination. It's not a book. You're not trying to get this perfect. It's, it's like a prototype. I so, love that so much. Minimum viable thesis, awesomeness. Yeah. And yeah, I was in fact, I was just talking about that this morning in terms of it, it may well become a book, might won't it? But at that mm-hmm. point, you'll get editors involved and you'll get proof copy editors exactly. and proofreaders and all of that. That all comes later. And, yeah. and and these books that you're reading that come out of people's theses, that that's what you're reading. You're reading a product, a, a mm-hmm. product of post submission mm-hmm. editing and development yeah. yeah um you know and a good editor can do wonders with a, with a document so I, I love this very very much in terms <laughs> of it's a project what's your minimum viable thesis um, mm-hmm. and thinking about how you manage that and you also talked about the systems that you had in place can you tell us a little bit about mm-hmm. the systems uh, yeah so I had some systems in terms of routines I have a a startup routine that gets me into writing so uh, step one might be making a a cup of tea step two might be doing a a writing warm-up step three is obviously switching off the internet because that's just a giant conspiracy to stop us doing any work (laughs) Uh, so you, you have this series of steps that gets you into writing you're not just approaching it cold and then you might pick the easiest bit of writing that you've got to do. So you, you get that quick win and then you can move into something more challenging. And then I have a shutdown routine where I make some quick notes on what I want to do in the next session. That might be a, a bullet list or just capturing some ideas, organising a few things so I can find them tomorrow, updating a progress chart. And overall building that routine, routines can sound a bit boring and monotonous but they're also predictable in a in a good way because mm-hmm. we know if we find a good routine we're going to see results and I often say I probably say this in every workshop actually but if you can write 500 words a day that adds up to 10,000 words a month yes. yeah yes. so it's yes. not yes. about these big ambitious goals that we pursue so I'm definitely going to write 2,000 words this weekend because there will be so many reasons why that doesn't happen somebody will thought you but if you can say I'm doing this full time I'm going to aim for 500 words a day that can be manageable depending on on which stage you're at so set small goals and achieve them consistently mm, and, and again I'm gonna this there's so much good stuff in there there's again this sense of the routine um, and this sense of having something that is, again, it's this sort of self-care, isn't it? Something that mm-hmm. is looking after yourself in that cup of tea or is a strong way to begin. <laughs> but this sense of uh, and attending to what you're going to need in that space mm-hmm. rather than marching yourself to a desk, mm-hmm. sitting <laughs> yourself down and forcing yourself. Yeah coax yourself yeah (laughs) yeah which I love um (laughs) and looking after yourself in picking up on what you said about the setting up for the next day because I think Mm -hmm. getting started is always tricky and if you've done some work like you say ahead of time to get yourself back into it the next day I love that I love that Mm. and and thinking about what people can do to develop their own because everyone will have that kind of unique thing won't they Mm. Definitely. Yeah. Um, very few of us can be trusted to just get on with something difficult on our own. We we have to introduce these structures. 
And if we do get into writing and it's going well, it can be hard to stop. It sounds like a nice problem to have, but then we push ourselves too hard and we sit there, our back seizes up and then we get tired and and bad tempered and we produce some terrible writing. And then our future self has got to try and edit that. So (laughs) yeah, set some limits. If you say I'm going to write 500 words today or I'm going to write this tricky paragraph when you've completed that stop and have some moderate fun and then come back and pursue your your next target tomorrow I love that of thinking about being kind to your future self yeah is this useful to my future self Mm -hmm. it's a brilliant question or am I going to be fuming with my past (laughs) self tomorrow (laughs) oh we have all been there yeah oh my goodness I love that I really love that um Anything else before before I kind of pin you down for the for the <laughs> top tip at the end? But is there anything else that you wanted to say about um, what you discovered in terms of routines and systems and managing the project? Uh, yeah, so I think this builds on something you said a moment ago, Emma, about recognizing when you're at your most energetic or creative. Uh, so not trying to write in the evening if you're more of a, a morning person. And I have this idea of of my golden hour where I'm most productive. So I have two golden hours between 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. So that's when I'm able to write. And I protect those two hours every morning. Amazing. I use this tool called Focusmate. I don't know if you've come across it. Yes, I have. And I'll put the link to it in the show notes as well because it's brilliant. Tell, Tell us a bit about how you use that. Yeah, so with Focusmate, you can book these online writing sessions with a a stranger. It it sounds a bit creepy, so a stranger watches you write, but it creates accountability. You've you've made this firm commitment to someone else. It's in your calendar. And then at the beginning of the session, you have a brief chat about what you're hoping to achieve for maybe a minute or less. Then you both work in silence for 50 minutes. You mute your microphone, but you keep your video on. Um, and then at the end of the 50 minutes, you have another very brief chat to um, share how you got on. So you're going to be really embarrassed if you say, well, I spent all the time on Twitter. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, so obviously, they, they, they can't see your screen, but there's always that, that sense that they will somehow yes. know. Yes. Um, yeah, so you, you can book these sessions for weeks or months in, a, in advance. So I have those booked every morning. I two Focusmate sessions. So I'm perched at my desk at 8 a.m. And I do those two hours of writing. I've been doing that since uh, early last year, I think. And I don't get much time to do writing otherwise, um, but it, it helps me keep on top of my projects. And that's when I find it easiest to write. I can be very productive. If I try to write in the afternoon, I'm usually in a bit of a slump then. And I, I can write, but it's squeezing out occasional words um so yeah so understand when's a good time for you it's definitely not about trying to write for a whole day because I don't mm. think anybody can do that no. it, it's it's quant- it's quality of those hours not not quantity mm. two hours of really focused writing every day I think w- would be enough to keep you on track with your PhD if you're doing it full time mm. Because as you say, there's all those other things to be getting on with as well. There's, mm-hmm. there's lots of other tasks around it. Um, mm. And uh, that that will fill up your time. And like you said already, the, the, and that will the blend of it will change depending on what phase you're in. Mm-hmm. But absolutely the sense of the quality of it. 
Um, it doesn't just, because I think often people think, well, if I sit at my desk for eight hours, <laughs> <laughs> it, will make, it will make a difference and it might just make you really miserable. And actually you could have got other things done in that time. Yeah. And you just associate being at your desk with feeling really frustrated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I can't remember which author said this. It was in a Guardian interview a couple of years ago, but you said you need to create desk hunger, that you leave your desk before <gasps> you feel like you've said everything because then you're thinking, oh, I really want to get back there tomorrow and do some more writing rather than thinking, oh, I'm an empty husk now. I just want to get away from this wretched thesis. Yeah, desk so, hunger. Desk I love hunger. that so much. I love that so much. Um, oh, this is brilliant. Um Brilliant, brilliant stuff. Um, but I'm aware of time because there are many more questions I want to ask you, but I, we will have to, you have to come back another time. Um, mm-hmm. But at, at this point, I just want to ask if you have, um, out of all that, that you've given us, you've already given us a load, so you might want to just repeat one. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you have a top tip to share in terms of this, this project management for the mm. PhD? Yeah, I think the most important concept is the minimum viable thesis Mm. don't try to do too much and as you were saying Emma don't compare it to a published book where the author has been through it many many times and it's had the attention of proofreaders and copy editors and everything else because your thesis isn't a book it might be in future but then you have to do a lot more work to it for now it's an examination and you just need to convince those two or three people that you are a researcher who's got an original and significant idea and it's not about producing something that's perfect I love that I love that let that sit for a minute take (laughs) that on um Catherine, thank you so much. Thank you for all the work that you do. Thank you for putting that into a book so we can all share it. Um, I'm, we'll have your contact details um, on the show notes because I'm sure people want to find out more about you now. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you so much for being with us. Um, and don't forget, everyone, that you can sign up as well for notes from the Life Wrath. The details for that will be on the show notes too. And this is just... Um, a weekly email with um, top tips and information to help you on your PhD journey. Thanks so much, Catherine, for your time today. My pleasure, Emma. Thank you for inviting me. And thank you all for listening. 